Welcome to Views from the World Tree. On this week's show, we put science to the test as we try to understand the ins and outs of the flat earth theory. And now, on with the show. I see. Good news, everyone. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to this week's news segment. Uh, I guess I'll go first. So, just in case you're here for the first time after the kids are off school and whatnot, we usually start these sections with a little bit of uh, personal news, reading, what we're watching, all of that stuff. So, just wanted to throw that out there since uh, we're starting to get quite a few new people tuning in. So, welcome, everybody. Anyway, uh, this week, uh, I am on a really weird kind of classic literature kick, and I am reading Sense and Sensibility. I'm only four chapters into it, but I've actually never read any Jane Austen's work and just went, no, I kind of want, like, a good period piece and so nice i that's where I'm at. i do remember that one from high school and i think i had to read it again in college um i she's not my favorite author but uh you know what she does she does well it is funny um i've tried to read her stuff many times before i i've tried to read emma i've tried to read Sense and Sensibility, there's another one that she's famous for, I can't remember. And every single time I picked it up, I got super bored super quick and went, how can people read this, like, trash? But now that I'm a little bit later on in life and have some life experience under my belt, I'm enjoying it and actually looking forward to seeing what happens in the book. I know the story, but I'm... The books are always a little bit different than the movies. Nice. So, I don't know. We'll see how long this lasts. I might, we might record next week and I'll be like, ah, this sucks. I put it away. It was horrible. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah. <laughs> um, as far as watching, uh, it's Stanley Cup playoff time and the Colorado Avalanche are have made it to the Stanley Cup for the first time in 21 years. And so I've been watching a lot of playoff hockey. Nice. So I, uh, I don't, uh, this is one gap in my sports knowledge that I just haven't had the time to rectify, which is I don't really know anything about hockey, but it's still a lot of fun to, uh, to learn or not to learn to watch. So it's very entertaining. It's fast paced. I'm going to call BS on that because if you remember our salute to Winter Olympics, we <laughs> talked a lot about the history of hockey. That, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I guess my knowledge gaps is mostly around like rules and regulations and stuff. So that's fair. That is fair. No, it's uh, the game uh, between the Edmonton Oilers 
and the Colorado Avalanche was probably, or the series was just phenomenal because you've got two of the best offenses in the world going against each other. Mm, So yesterday's game, uh, for those of you listening on Sunday, uh, that would have been Monday night's game. There were six goals scored in the third period. Wow. So it was high scoring, very fast paced, just exciting hockey. Yeah, that's I think the, if sorry. I just was gonna say that's the kind I like to watch. Yeah. Um I think if I were a little bit older and in a little bit lesser uh health, I probably would have had a heart attack because it was like <laughs> that exciting. Nice. But <laughs> cool. Um, and then um as far as news, uh are you a Ted Lasso fan? I started the first season. I really liked it, but I think at the time I just had too much other stuff going on. So I've not seen past the first half of the first season. If you are a fan, I've got some news for you. If you're not a fan, you should watch it. It's like this, this sun drop of positivity in such a negative world. It's just one of those shows that just is amazingly kind. Uh, But in an interview um, that I read today, one of the writers, um, writer slash actor, confirmed that they're writing the third and final season of Ted Lasso. And uh, when pressed, he said that they were never going to extend the contract beyond three seasons. It was always going to be three and done. So mm. I don't know if that's changed, but it kind of breaks my heart that there's only one season left of Ted Lasso, and then it's done. Well, I guess that's good news for me because I won't have too much to catch up on. So <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, this show is one that my wife and I, uh, whenever we're kind of in a down, like going up and down with our emotions throughout the year, like we'll just get to the point where like we just need positivity and uh and we'll put this show on because it's just uh jason sudeikis's character even the people that are trying to screw him over he just kills him with kindness uh (laughs) and, and he plays such an amazingly like deep character for a comedic role where he you can tell that he's hurt that people think less of him but he always expects the best in people. It's just kind of the life that I want to live. And so it's just an amazing, like beautiful masterpiece of kindness, in my opinion. Nice. Yeah. He's a great actor. Sorry, water. Um, <laughs> what, uh, what is your news? I, I know you've got a little bit more than I did this week. I, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> been a really busy week um so as far as reading i can get through that really quick i have not actually not really read anything this week which is weird different for me um usually i've got two or three books going at a time but i have had too many things uh too many new things that i've been watching so i will just go right into that um so i my wife and i finished watching stranger things season four uh at least 
We finished all of the episodes until the last two come out a little bit later. Have you seen any of this season yet? I have not. I started to uh, rewatch season one, mm-hmm. and then life got in the way, and I just haven't finished the uh, recap yet. So okay, give me give me about a week and a half, and I'll probably get there. Okay. So yeah, no spoilers then, but season four has been by far my favorite so far. Um, it's been very like Lovecraftian eldritch horror themed, which I mean, you know, and any of our listeners that have heard me talk before, they know that I just really love that kind of stuff. Um, also kind of similar to your news about Ted Lasso, the creators of stranger things have said that there will be a season five and that will be the final season. And they're billing it as the darkest and heaviest yet. So, which season four was a a pretty, pretty big step down from season three in terms of like the tone and the seriousness of it. My, uh, my father-in-law texted me in the middle of it and said, are you watching this? And I said, no, I'm I'm rewatching the first one. He said, oh my gosh, this is the (laughs) creepiest, scariest season yet. And it is incredible. It is, it is excellent. Yeah. Agreed. So, um, so also moving on, I, my wife and I have been watching season nine of alone. Uh, this is a show that we've pretty much watched religiously since the beginning. Uh, this is the one where they have 10 participants. Uh, they each get a list of 10 survival items and they drop them off in the middle of nowhere by themselves to see how long they can survive. So this time they are up in Labrador, Canada, and the big uh, twist this time is they are in polar bear country. (laughs) So I will take, we talked a lot about bears in our spring hiking episode. I will take any type of bear except for polar bear. From everything that I've read, those things are just angry, mean hunters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very mean, very aggressive. Um, up until this point, I believe they've only had one person of the 10 that has tapped out. So there's a couple of really strong contenders this season. It'll be interesting to see how it goes. Nice. I like that show. I like the, uh, I think, season. Which one was the one where they were down in Argentina? Uh, they went to Patagonia in, I want to say it was either four or six. I think, I think it think might it have been four. Four. I was thinking three or four. So, um, that was my favorite, favorite, favorite season. Just because you had people that made it home. I think if their mental game didn't catch up with them, they would have lost forever. Yeah, that was a really good one. So, cool. I'm. I'm. I'll look forward to watching season nine once I get around to it. Cool. Um, also been making our way through the Obi-Wan show on Disney plus. I don't want to spend too much time on that so far. It's very entertaining. Love it. Um, also I signed up for a trial of Paramount plus because I wanted to watch Star Trek Picard. Um, and then while I was on there, which it's, it's fine. (laughs) But (laughs) while I was on there browsing, I came across Star Trek Strange New Worlds, a new series, and 
I have just been loving this. Like it has been such a breath of fresh air and such a return to kind of the original feel of Star Trek. Just the the focus on exploration and um, not all of the like over-dramatized stuff that was in like Discovery and Picard and some of the more recent ones. So have you seen this one at all? I haven't. I, um, I've been debating, debating, debating. Uh, I watched the first two episodes of Picard and it was so slow and so dry. Yeah. That I really had no desire to watch this, uh, the new one that came out, but if you say it's good, it's good. It's honestly, I've really, really enjoyed it. It's new and they're doing an episode a week. So I think there's only four episodes out. Um, and it follows Captain Pike um, and and his time captaining the Enterprise. So it's set between Enterprise and the original series. Okay. So it's really good. Um, anyway... Just a couple more things on what I've been watching. I know it's long. It's a long list this week. I warned you. Oh, oh no, that's good. <laughs> I, I actually, I, I love getting new ideas. So I'm excited. I don't, I'm sure our <laughs> listeners are too, but. Uh, They're probably like hitting the fast forward button, but that's all right. <laughs> I'll put chapters on this episode so you can skip. <laughs> um, so I discovered a YouTube channel called Cinema Therapy and. I think I actually rediscovered it because I kind of remember seeing some of their stuff before. Um, But I was browsing through my YouTube recommendations and a video came up that was, was called something like Aragorn and positive masculinity. Um, So I was kind of intrigued being a a huge Tolkien nerd, decided to click on it and watch it. Um, Excellent, excellent video. It talks all about how, uh, Aragorn and some of the men in Lord of the Rings really embody the those positive masculine traits of still having a lot of strength and honor, but also not being afraid to show emotion and tenderness and, and compassion. Um, but as far as the channel in general goes, uh, so there's these two guys. One of them is a therapist and the other one is a filmmaker. And they will sit down together and go through movies and look at anything from like the psychology of a hero. Uh, So they have one on Tony Stark and narcissism. They have one on the incredible Hulk and anger management. Um, They'll look at like they did one just last week about uh, ranking the different Disney princesses relationships in the order of the health (laughs) of the relationship. (laughs) Um, So they had like Cinderella Uh, like down near the bottom and then up near the top, I want to say was uh, fix it Felix and the gal from uh, the like halo game that's in that movie. Can't remember wreck it Ralph. Anyway, really interesting channel and uh, shows you how surprisingly deep some movies can be. I love that. I am. I'll have to check that one out. Um, I, I've, I don't know if I've just gotten soft in my later years, but I like 
I love looking at the psychology in movies recently. So that seems very much like something that I would get behind. Yeah, you would love it then. Yeah. Um, and then the only other thing as far as like entertainment stuff, I have been on a bit of a American truck simulator binge. Um, so I'm currently up to uh, 28 different garages. <laughs> um, I have all of the trucks, all the paint jobs, everything unlocked. Um, my All of my employees and stuff are bringing in like a million dollars a day. <laughs> just working on achievements now so it's so been really it's safe fun. to say that you've beat the game <laughs> i i mean you maybe i've done about everything that you can do other than chasing some of these achievements so like the just earlier today um, i finally was able to get one it's called something like heavy but not a bull in a china shop and you have to achieve a perfect delivery. So like an on-time delivery, no damage, et cetera, of over a thousand miles. And it has to be over, it has to be from like the heavy cargo pack. Oh my gosh. So I drove a, some type of massive construction equipment on like a, a triple articulated trailer from, where did I take it from? From like... Seattle down to Yuma, Arizona, I think. Something like that. <laughs> and yeah, it's, you gotta like, you gotta be super on the spot about traffic and, oh, and you can't have any traffic violations. That's the other thing. So like, you can't run any red lights. You can't get any speeding tickets. It uh, took a little bit of doing, but I finally got that one. Nice. Yeah, I've been playing a little bit of Euro Truck Simulator and been enjoying that. So I might have to get back into American Truck Simulator. That's a lot of fun. Uh, for other news for me this week, uh, just a couple quick updates on our vegetable garden. Uh, we've got about two-thirds of it in the ground, finally, as of today. My wife has really been helping transition all my seedlings into the garden beds, which has been great. Uh, we still need to do our raspberry bushes, our pepper plants, and about half of our tomatoes still. Uh, we decided also to, for our lettuce, instead of doing it outdoors, we're going to do it indoors with a hydroponic setup um, just to try and save some water that way because lettuce is kind of water hungry. Hmm. So that way we can recycle or recirculate our water. Um, and then semi-adjacent um so our front lawn is so i've been trying to convert our front yard to not a true like zero scaping because there's like regulations and stuff in my area that are kind of ridiculous so um, but i've been converting it to a clover lawn um, so clover lawns take a lot less water um, a lot less mowing a lot less maintenance they're also very friendly for honeybees. Um, so I've been working on that and I've got about 40% of it converted. Um, there's one section where I need to get rid of some thistle that has taken hold. We've got some, some creeping thistle that likes to come in through our irrigation water because it grows on the edges of the canal and then it gets pumped in. So once that's all taken care of, then I can, I can seed that section with the clover as well, but... 
the stuff that I'm using to treat the thistle would unfortunately kill the clover. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I'll skip a couple things here, um, but it, it is worth noting that if you're uh, into the Apple ecosystem, the Worldwide Developer Conference uh, kicked off and it either just ended or it's about to end. And, uh, you know, if you love Apple or you hate them, you can't deny that they're doing some really, really exciting stuff with the, the engineering of their products. So definitely check that out if that's something you're interested in. I won't go into any more details because I feel like I've been talking for a long time. <laughs> oh, no, you're good. Uh, I am intrigued at the uh, the different regulations for Xeriscaping that you have out in the and where you're at, but that's for either another podcast or another time. Yeah, it's just like HOA stuff. Oh, HOA. You got to have the, me- the green. The, you have to have so much green. grass. Yeah. So oh. we've, we've torn out as much of our lawn as we can and put rock in because you have to have like a certain percentage that's green, basically. So we're making that percentage is going to be clover instead of the like the rye grass and stuff that's there. Oh, perfect. Yeah, one of my neighbors, he pulled out all of his grass and he's got a bee-friendly garden. So he's got the tall wildflowers with uh, with ivy and stuff kind of running between them. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's an interesting idea, um, but I know some of those uh, climbing vines tend to choke out flowers. So I'm interested to see what it looks like at the end of summer. Yeah, we've got a, a wildflower section. So our front yard is semi-divided by a sidewalk and so on the one side it's like all wildflowers and that's where like my flagpole is so it's got like mm-hmm. i think it has some tulips around the flagpole because my wife really likes tulips and we brought them with us when we moved from utah they're the the famous like thanksgiving point ones and then everything else is the it's a local uh, pollinator wildflower mix and then on the other side of the sidewalk is where we're doing the the clover and the rock kind of like combined and then we have a tree um i forget what kind it is it's some type of hybrid that's supposed to be drought tolerant and the idea is that that will help shade the clover so that we don't have to water it more than like once every two weeks hopefully i don't know we'll see how it goes that's awesome I might have to look into that here. I don't know. Worth a check. Worth a look. Yeah. It's been fun. A lot of backbreaking work, but a lot of fun. So. Yeah. Yard work is fun if you uh if you're in the right headspace. Yeah. So, anyway, um we should probably move on and talk about what everybody wants to know about, which is <laughs> is the earth flat? I don't know. Before we get into it, what do you think? Just straight up? Uh, No, (laughs) I don't think it's flat. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Sorry. Guess you can end the podcast there. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say no as well. Um, But we're going to lay out a lot of the arguments uh, that uh, quote unquote proves this theory. And we'll let you all decide for yourselves. So, first off, 
where does this theory come from? Um, as far as I found, there were really three main points of this theory. Uh, in the 800s BCE, Egyptian and Mesopotamian theories established this idea of a disk flying through the cosmos. And that's important because later on in this episode, you're going to hear what the current idea of flat Earth is. Big hint, it's a disk flying through space. But <laughs> we'll, we'll go in there. Uh, another theory uh, that kind of parallels flat earth but doesn't quite um is the north more northern germanic tribes of uh europe so scandinavia uh their theory of the earth is that it was flat with the sky being the inside of a giant skull a frost giant skull uh the oceans surround the earth and they're kept in place by a giant sea monster uh, that keeps the water from spilling into the roots of the world tree and uh, ruining that. So kind of flat earther as well, if you think about it that way. Um, ancient China had a belief that the earth was a flat square with round heavens. And so unlike some of the other theories, the sun and the moon would rotate around the earth, but the earth itself was flat. So almost like a tiger's eye marble or just a little flat piece inside this glass Hmm. Um, and then throughout throughout time different different aspects of society have proclaimed flat earth as being reality Um, during the medieval times there were people that believed it if you look back at the uh the early lookings of how the universe or so sorry (laughs) how our solar system was uh built you had the geocentric or the uh, solar centric or all the, these different theories about how things worked. Um, so there's always been different theories regarding throughout history. The thing is, if you grew up in the U S school system, you were probably told this myth that in the 1400s in Italy and Spain, people believed that the earth was flat and Christopher Columbus was going to go and sail off the edge of the earth on his way to the <laughs> Western, uh, on the Western route to find the East Indies. And like, I guess it would have been just the Indies at the time, considering he was just looking for the Western route. But anyway, this, this fear. Yeah. Uh, that's bull crap. Uh, we'll go into it later, but people have known that the earth was round or theorized that the earth was round since about 500 BCE. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did anyway, that's a that- brief, look at where the theories kind of originated. I was not aware that that, uh, that what I learned back in school had been debunked. I, up until just a few minutes ago, thought that that's, you know, not that that's why Columbus sailed uh, to try and find an alternate route, but that, yeah, I thought that that's how um, we found out that the earth was round. So, Anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really sad the lies that we tell kids because we don't want to explain things further. Yeah. Um, so as far as different ideas on the Earth model, um, 
there's the, the diamond theory where the earth is not spherical, but it has eight flat sides. Um, so like two, uh, four sided dies mirrored, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, uh, a model where it's a disc with ice cap barriers. So, uh, earth is flat and the Arctic circle is the center of the disc. And then the Antarctic ice shelf forms a barrier kind of around the perimeter that keeps the water in and protects us from falling off the edge. Um, along with that, there is a conspiracy theory that NASA is a government organization charged with keeping people uh, from climbing down the ice barrier and seeing the truth, which is why they spend so much money on Antarctic research and why the uh, research station down there was formed. So one thing that I picked up on during this is um, there, this theory has spawned so many other conspiracy theories. It's like a, a web of, well, we need to explain this. So we're going to make up something else type of thing. And it, it's entertaining to say the least. Yeah. They tend to snowball, don't they? Mm-hmm. So. Um, so with the disc and ice cap barrier theories, uh, there, there's a thought on gravity. Um, so because we, supposedly live on a disc there's not enough mass to hold us against the ground so we would just float off type of thing think uh the first walk on the moon not that uh flat earthers believe that we ever went to the moon but (laughs) um, (laughs) just kind of the uh the the lower gravity type of thing and so to explain this and to explain why um in a vacuum, things with very different masses, like a big bowling ball to a small marble, fall at the same speed, is the belief that uh, we're not being held down onto this disc by gravity. We are actually, uh, the disc is moving up in space at a rate of 9.8 meters per second. And so when we jump off of a high dive, the the earth is actually coming up to meet us rather than us falling down into the water. And so that's the reason why everything falls at the same rate of speed in a vacuum without wind resistance. That's the reason why, why everything is what it appears to be. And so that's their theory on gravity. That's a convenient, uh, (laughs) convenient bit of, yeah, something. <laughs> it, it's fascinating though, because if you it, it, you can make the physics work, you can create an alternate theory and make the physics work for a disc that's rising. My question is: once we reach the top, are we going to start falling <laughs> and like just be in a, a series of free fall for a while? That might be kind of fun, actually. Maybe, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's one counter-argument that is kind of um, 
prevalent amongst uh, the Flat Earth Society. And it's by a guy, uh, I don't know his first name, so I'm just going to call him Mr. Davidson. Uh, I looked everywhere to try and find his first name, and he's always just referred to as Davidson. So um, he's quoted as basically saying that because uh, that space doesn't exist, um, that it's just a projection down. We covered the... Uh, the computer model theory of what life is uh, not too long ago, mm-hmm. but it kind of con- goes with this, that space doesn't exist. It's just a projection that we see. So we're basically, when I read this, I thought of that computer model thing going, Oh, we're just in a blank slate, like unity engine with like a point <laughs> of light and on a flat space and everything's projected to make us think that it is. So space doesn't exist. Uh, so the idea that we're flying through space on a disc is just ridiculous. So space is a figment of the imagination and flying through, through it on a disc is impossible. Um, so one thing that I found is a lot of people that believe in the flat earth don't agree with each other. You've got different, um, scientists and experts that, that believe different aspects to make the model work in their head. And so there's a lot of disagreement on what that is. So this is one of the uh, people at a flat earth convention that I've read about that believes that basically the space around us is a uh, projection and not a reality. Okay, then. (laughs) Um, So as far as where the moon fits into all of this, um, According to most of the stuff that uh, that we found, supposedly the moon and the sun are actually both spherical, and flat earthers believe that the moon and the sun rotate around the earth disk at a distance of 3,000 miles or 4,800 kilometers above the surface. Uh, the stars revolve around the earth disk at a distance of 3,100 miles above the disk surface, which creates a shadow effect on the stars depending on the location of the sun. And uh, supposedly there is also a translucent anti-moon that revolves around the Earth that will occasionally blot out the sun or the moon, uh, which is the cause of lunar and solar eclipses. That is hard to swallow. I'm trying really hard to not, uh, yeah, I'm trying hard to be respectful and just present the information. I do like the simplicity of this idea. It is very simple. (laughs) I'll get that. And I have seen pictures, um, and I can't remember if I saw them before I started researching this show or as a result of this where um the moon does create kind of a visual um effect where it appears to block the stars beyond where the moon's surface is creating kind of a shadow effect so i can understand where they're getting this idea um, and so it, it was like quasi plausible for me until they went oh and then there's an anti-moon uh so basically the sun is a giant spotlight the moon's a flashlight beacon right 
And you've got this anti-moon that chases them around the sky and occasionally blocks out the light. And so that's what the eclipse is. It's it's not it's not a sphere blocking out a sphere. It's uh it's an anti-moon. <laughs> so my question would be the if the stars supposedly revolve around the earth at a distance of 3100 miles um how does that work where stars cuz like if you look at stars through a telescope you can tell that there's depth like you get different parallax effects depending on where you're looking from and what time of the year like you can they move in three dimensions like they move past each other and so is that yeah <laughs> i i don't know the answer okay i just was wondering um, if you came across it i i can i can say reading about this idea of the projection of the uh of the stars a little bit higher than the moon that they would probably say when you look at art from a distance through binoculars or something, you can tell the depth that the artist created. <laughs> and so I would probably put it that, that uh, I did find that um, a lot of, a lot of the people that believe this theory are and I don't want to badmouth any religious group, but they are staunch, 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 staunch creationists. Uh, we were put here by a creator. We like that type of situation, and so hmm. I'm I'm guessing it probably has something to do with that, which is also weird because like a lot of them also believe the pathways of creation through evolution, through all of this, like they believe real science. It's not just this flat earth based science, but for some reason there's just this weird disconnect. Hmm. And we'll kind of get into that a little bit later. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Actually, we'll get into it right now. Have you heard of the Zetetic Method? Um, I have not. So this is a counter to the scientific method. Um, it was developed in the 18th century by a gentleman in England. And the whole idea, and I can't remember who did it, so I probably should have wrote that down, is that scientific evidence is more valid through sensory observations. So basically, if you can taste it, touch it, smell it, hear it, or see it, it's more powerful than to study it, measure it through, like, instrumentation. So it's basically saying that the human experience is more is a more likely explanation for scientific phenomena. So remember this, it's a counter <laughs> to the scientific method. So uh, one of the, at a flat earth society, the vice president, Michael Wilmore, 
uh, he told Live Science in 2017. Broadly, the method places a lot of emphasis on reconciling, reconciling empiricalism and rationalism and making logical deductions based on empirical data. Such as, we perceive that the Earth is flat because that's what we see, kind of thing. And so we can deduce that the Earth is flat because we experience the flatness of the Earth. Okay. <laughs> um, it's an interesting philosophy. It is, yeah. I believe there's some validity to empirical observation in the scientific community. A lot of the uh, a lot of the things that we've discovered comes through empirical evidence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, using this idea that empirical evidence trumps any other form of evidence gathering, like as the premier, it makes sense how they can dismiss evidence that they don't necessarily believe in as valid because it trumps their own experience. Yeah, I I guess I can understand how they get from here to there <laughs> or from there to here, however you want to say that, without at the same time like agreeing with or understanding uh, their complete thought process. Like I can, I can see how they can make the leap from. So like, yeah, if we assume that their statement that whatever I can see is the absolute truth, I can see how then you would jump to, to me, the earth looks flat, therefore it must be flat, I guess. that's I can get that leap. <laughs> uh, there's some other things that uh, I'll, you know, not get into right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Um, one of the flaws that I found with this statement is what it does is it creates a I know this truth to be the absolute truth, but now I need to explain some of the other ideas uh, away. And so with this feeling-based evidence, I guess for lack of a better word, you have to establish some of the whys. And so we see... Uh, a solar eclipse so that wouldn't make sense if it was flat because you would have to have depth so it must be an anti-moon that will block out the sun or an anti-sun it must be (laughs) anti-something to block it out for a minute to give us the illusion of type of thing and so they like you've got that um we believe that the uh, ice caps are holding in the water. NASA is down on the ice caps. Therefore, they must be protecting the secret because they don't want anybody to know. Um, 
the governments believe that uh, don't want us to know that the earth is flat and that we're all experiencing time on actually a, the same level. And so it's a government cover-up of all the world governments trying to tell us that they went to space just so we will stop bugging them to get the truth. It, it's it's a snowballing effect. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Yeah. Anyway. There's some of the evidence for it. <laughs> probably yeah. not all of it. Uh, there's people a lot more passionate who probably believe it that would probably be, try to debate us under the stage with it. But. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> um. Yeah. So as far as like crazy theories go or out there theories, um, it's kind of fun sometimes to look at famous people that buy into this just because it's entertaining. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have a a list of some of the notable people who, according to People Magazine, as of 2017, um, were, you know, self-identified as flat earthers. Um, so there is, I'm probably going to butcher this name, Tila Tequila, uh, who's a singer, actress, and adult film star. And before being banned on Twitter for hate speech, she was one of the most influential proponents of the flat earth theory. Uh, we also have B.O.B., the rapper and music producer, who got into a debate with Neil deGrasse Tyson on Twitter. If you don't know who he is, he's a famous astrophysicist over the idea that the earth is flat. Also Sherry Shepard, another actress, um, co-host of the view and author. And though she doesn't rather, so though she didn't rally behind the theory, she did say that She's never given it any real thought, so in a sense, she was undecided on the roundness of the Earth. Um, and the last one we have on our list is uh, Kyrie Irving, NBA player, revealed in an interview that he believed the Earth to be flat. So, if you uh, buy into this belief, you are not alone. <laughs> yeah, Um None of the names, I, I don't know much about any of them. I actually had to look up who Sherry Shepard was. Um, yeah, I've heard of B.O.B. and heard of Irving. That's about it. Yeah. So definitely not uh, anybody super famous, but. I think Tia Tequila, she, she was big around the time of Paris Hilton. She was like the poor Paris Hilton. Okay type of thing during like that MTV era of the early 2000s. And then she kind of fell off. Mm. Yeah. It is interesting. And if you're new to the show, know that we, we do these like we tongue in cheek, but we respect anybody and everybody's like belief system. We're not going to, we're not going to make fun of you too much. If you believe something different than us. Yeah. And it is tongue in cheek and we, you know, we make fun of our own beliefs sometimes too. So (laughs) equal opportunity offenders. And (laughs) even though we don't 
share in everybody's beliefs, we definitely recognize their, their right to hold those beliefs. So yes, none of this is meant as a, a serious attempt at offending people. I did just want to throw that out because there, there, there are people that uh, do believe this like full heartedly. They just believe it and won't let it go. And this is not against them, but um, some of the conspiracy theories that are related to flat earth uh, or that flat earthers tend to believe as well uh, is the lunar landing hoax. They believe that the, the landing on the moon uh, and the famous, famous words of uh, Neil Armstrong, all of that was all done on a soundstage. We might have an episode on that at some point, just because that's a fun <laughs> conspiracy theory. Yeah, it's a popular one. Uh, related to that, space exploration, fake. How can you explore something that doesn't exist? Uh, actually, here in Colorado, um, there was a gentleman that lost his life hooking up a bunch of balloons to a lawn chair so that he could prove that the Earth was flat um, by going up into the stratosphere and taking video evidence of the flatness of the earth. Um, Is that the guy? That wasn't the same guy that took up like a case of beer and a pellet gun so he could shoot him down to descend. Was it? It might've been guy. I don't remember. Anyway, I I feel like a lot of people have done it. Uh, (laughs) Probably. It's just honestly, it would be kind of fun. (laughs) If you could do it safely. (laughs) Oh man, you know, yes, it might be fun for half a second. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Reminds me of the, I think it was when he was still on Top Gear, James May hooked up a, a caravan or like a camp trailer to a giant balloon and like managed to fly it. He was trying to fly somewhere and he ended up in like Royal Air Force airspace and there was this whole kerfuffle. It was pretty funny. <laughs> I think I remember that episode. That was good. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, and uh, just like everything, there is a group of very powerful people who are controlling and pulling the strings of society. Some call them the Kabbal, or an ancient sect of Hebrew thought based on the Jewish uh, scriptures that uh, has creates magic to unravel the mysteries of the universe. There are those that believe that the Kabbal is in charge of the spherical earth conspiracy to help control the masses to make sure that they stay in power. Yeah. So is that uh, similar to like the Illuminati and the that whole business, New World Order that we've talked about before on the, the Denver airport one? I think so. I, I think they're all kind of related. The Cabal, the Illuminati, the Knights Templar, the, the Masons, like I think they're all interrelated at this point with a lot of the conspiracy theory nuts, but 
Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating conspiracy theory and probably a topic for July because that would be a fun summer topic. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would. The cabal and cabalism. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so just, those are some of the related uh, theories. Not necessarily spawned by flat earthers themselves. But some of the ones that flat earthers do believe in conjunction with the flat earth theory. Yeah. Um, so as far as supposed proof against the flat earth theory, um, obviously, you know, NASA, we have pictures of the globe of the earth from the space station, as well as earthrise photography from the moon. Uh also, Greek philosophers as early as the year 500 BCE had discovered the distance around the Earth by measuring shadows from two different locations. Um, so you can thank Pythagoras for using empirical evidence to figure out the distance around the Earth. Um, also, Magellan, Cook, and other mariners have circumnavigated the globe, and Newtonian physics further cemented the understanding that the Earth was spherical in the 1600s. There you go. The Greek philosopher thing. Uh, I learned about this uh, recently, and it was one of the most fascinating things. Um, so basically using sun shadows of a known height uh, Pythagoras and his students were able to estimate the curvature of the earth within about 500 kilometers. Wow. That's impressive. So next time you, uh, are looking at or helping your kid with their algebra homework or looking at <laughs> geometry, like realize that, thousand five hundred years ago we had brilliant mathematicians that were doing amazing things that we're still learning today <laughs> i think that's kind of cool that is cool and i mean i don't know for sure but i would imagine that 500 kilometers is probably well within the margin of error just based on the amount of significant figures you can get off of an abacus or whatever they used for for calculations Right. So pretty impressive. I mean, this is the same society that figured out pi. Yeah. They figured out uh, water displacement to learn the volume of a, of an irregular shape. <laughs> like they, they were, if Atlantis is real, they were definitely Greek in origin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, so that is flat Earth in a nutshell. So we started the episode by both saying the Earth is spherical. Does the evidence laid before you this evening change your perception? Um, I will preface this by saying... I was actually impressed by the evidence. There is more than I thought existed. And, you know, the 
proponents of the theory and their ability to actually present a cohesive argument surprised me, but not to the extent that I would change my opinion on the flat earth theory. So that is fair. A hat tip to the amount of effort that they've put into it, but I remain unconvinced. <laughs> um, the, my, my one biggest takeaway is the, uh, and I have to look at it again, the, and I know I'm butchering it, the Zetetic method. Mm-hmm. The idea of our senses trumping measurements of instruments. Basically, humans are infallible, instruments are fallible or manipulated is an interesting theory. I'm not saying that they're right, but I'm saying it's an interesting theory on how to like observe the earth around us. Yeah. And what I love is Pythagoras in 500 BCE basically used the tenets of their theory to disprove the flat earth. But that's besides the point. It's just, it's a cool idea, this uh, empirical evidence gathering. It, it really is. And I mean, I don't want to, to speak for you or put words in your mouth, but I, I think there's something to be said about the, I don't know what you want to call it, um, like our spiritual senses or kind of the more um, less understood senses, right? I think that humans do have an ability to think and reason and make observations based on stimulus that doesn't fit into one of the other five senses. And whether you call that a soul or whatever you want, I think there is something to be said for what that part of us observes. And so maybe this Zetetic method accounts for that. And it is kind of cool to think about. Uh, Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I like that. We might have to look deeper into it in a future episode. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I guess that closes the the argument for now of the Flat (laughs) Earth Society. Before we close it for good, though, Um, If you are a listener and you believe in this theory and you have something that you want to add, something that you want to share, or if you want to correct anything on us, please reach out to our show. Uh, We would love to have you on and have you talk about it from the point of view of a true believer, not somebody that's a skeptic, because I I think that would be fascinating and kind of cool. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, don't uh, don't worry about it too much. We promise to be respectful and and honestly listen with an open mind. Mm-hmm. So, um, I guess that brings us to our mindfulness moment. I feel like I've been talking a lot, but since I looked it up, I'll find it or I'll read it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this week I chose a quote from Dean Koontz. He's an author. Um, He's written quite a few popular fiction books, but he, uh, he wrote, we go wrong 
when we don't admit the unknowable complexity of reality. But we go dangerously wrong when we claim that one pale story, or in an anthology of them, is truth. And that's from his book, A Big Little Life, the Mem- A Memoir of a Joyful Dog. Um, I chose this in conjunction with the Flat Earth Society uh, post, just because um, it, it kind of fit. There's There's things that we just don't know. And to try to know them all is just, it's difficult. It, it creates tension. It creates like divisiveness between people. And I just love the idea of we go wrong by, by when we don't admit how complex reality is but we really go wrong when we take one single aspect of our reality and claim that that's the ultimate truth. Um, I see it quite often in the news. It happens in politics here in America. It's happening. I've been reading uh, Le Monde, which is the uh, French paper, basically the French version of CNN over in France. And it's happening in France. It's happening everywhere. People are taking one aspect of reality and claiming it to be the absolute truth. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a favorite of a lot of politicians and other partisan news sources. Unfortunately, they tend to latch onto either what they think is the most valid argument for their point or whatever um, point of their opponent they think is the most outlandish and they just kind of run with it. So, and it, uh, yeah, it's a good quote. And yeah, I would agree. Like you have to look at the whole picture. So as a person who, you know, who works as an engineer and who has a, a mind that tries to look at the root cause of different things, it, it's something I've kind of taken for granted that I really try to gather all of the information available before I come to a decision. And I try and weigh different, uh, different aspects and different viewpoints um, as equally as possible when deciding something. And I think that's important because there is no one source of truth in the world. I think everybody has different pieces and that's just a result of, you know, the environment that people are in. So I think it's up to us to take that and try and make sense of it as best we can. Well said. Okay. Well, that ends this week's show. So uh, join us next week. We will be taking a look at one of the magical places in the world as we start a multi-part series looking at dream trips and locations. You won't want to miss the beginning of this. See you next week. See you then.